Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I am your host for the show. Uh, let's have a look at what's on deck for today. Last night, UFC on ESPN 15. Not a great card on paper. Pretty good card in practice. Uh, some of you may have been around long enough to remember that old UFC talking point about, well, it's the cards you never expect that turn out the best. Uh, no, that's that's a load of crap. Because I actually did the math on it at one point. Now, this was a few years ago, so I don't know if this is still true. But I think it came out being if you took... If you looked at cards that everyone kind of went on paper were meh, the number of times it wildly exceeded expectations wound up being about, I think, one out of every eight, give or take. Now, again, that's that was once the UFC had started moving to the 40-plus events per year kind of schedule they have now, so I don't, I don't know with the roster being what it is now versus what it was then. I don't know if that's still the correct ratio for that, but I I imagine it probably is still pretty close to accurate, so we got a... Point being, we hit the one out of eight, uh, and we got a good, solid overall night of fights. I mean, even the stuff that wasn't good usually at least wasn't long. And we'll kind of take that. Uh, we have to go over how that card... That card got gutted. I mean, just absolutely gutted. But we'll go over that. Uh, next week, this coming Saturday, rather, rather than next, UFC on ESPN plus 33, speaking of somewhat gutted cards. Uh, we'll go over that. And news of the week, pretty light news. A um, lot of fight announcements, but other than that, uh, not a whole lot of major news. So let's go ahead and jump into the... UFC on ESPN 15 review. Um, main event, Frankie Edgar defeats Pedro Munoz via split decision. There were two 48-47s for Edgar, one 49-46 for Munoz. I scored this 48-47 for Munoz. That said, I tend to think three rounds to two for either man is a perfectly acceptable scorecard. I have a harder time figuring out four rounds to one for Pedro. Um, I just have a little bit harder time seeing that. But then again, I'm also, as I think back on this, I can't point to two rounds definitively, two rounds, and definitively go, those were Edgar rounds. Edgar clearly had the second. I think Munoz clearly had the third. The other three are kind of a toss-up. One was very close. Uh, I leaned towards Edgar live. A lot of other people leaned Munoz. Uh, one and five were very competitive. I think four going to... I went I went Munoz in the fourth. I think... I think that's probably correct. But, again, you had at least two rounds. Again, one and five, bare minimum. Hyper-competitive rounds. So, three to two for either man. Perfectly acceptable. Uh, some... Somewhat interesting stuff played out here as far as the fight went. Uh, a couple of things that I didn't really consider that Munoz would have a lot of success with, but he did. One, his leg kicks, especially his calf kick. Uh, he did a number on Frankie's leg. More surprising to me was his jab. 
in fact, the reason he lost the second round, I think more specifically, he started going into brawling mode before properly setting it all up. In the second round, he very much got away from his jab and got away from his leg kicks. And that let Frankie's game come to life a little bit. In the third, fourth, and fifth, he got back to jabbing, back to kicking, and those gave Frankie problems. Uh, Frankie had a really good, I mean, especially like the first two and a half minutes, really good for Frankie. But as the fight wore on, Frankie's lack of head movement started to bite him. Frankie moves a lot with his feet, but his head movement defensively tends to rely on either a very good read on you or disrupting your timing and being the one to go forward first. But it's very much on the center line a lot of the time, and Munoz caught him with that, caught him again, jabbed him repeatedly, started catching him on the exits of combinations. Edgar's hand speed did him a tremendous service here. Munoz, I think Jack Slack is the one who's fond of saying, Pedro Munoz is the bantamweight for people who don't like bantamweights because he's slow enough for them to follow. That that came into play here just a little bit. Uh, and Frankie's hand speed, better. Uh, Pedro Munoz's chin, it just deserves to be said, kind of in that same vein. Incredible chin. He ate some pretty clean shots, and Frankie may not have thunderous power, but he's got good power, and more importantly, he's good about finding the target. And Pedro, I don't think he even very often was hit hard enough to make him take a significant backward step relative to Pedro, because he got hit clean. Uh, he wobbled Frankie a couple of times, but Frankie's chin held up. I did not expect it to, but it did. Uh, this was this was your fight of the night, deservedly so. Really, really good fight. I don't know where each man goes from here. This is two losses in a row for Munoz. Uh, he was coming off of a loss to Aljamain Sterling. But he's he's got his back up against the wall a little bit. Frankie, uh, let me bring up the rankings. I, I know they haven't been updated yet, but I'm, because he beat, I think Munoz was number five coming into this. Yeah. Which actually does Frankie a lot of favors beating him. It means he could potentially leapfrog Marab uh, really, who I think would give him fits. Uh, Rob Font, who would give him problems. Uh, uh, he could leapfrog Dominic Cruz. You know, Dominic Cruz and Frankie Edgar, to be perfectly honest, coming out of this, I would love. That would be a great, great fight. I don't know who I would favor in that. Probably Cruz. Frankie, Frankie's best work comes against guys who are more stationary. And Munoz, Munoz maneuvered very well. He can, he was able to get Frankie to the fence a lot here. But, Munoz's strategy is also a lot of get you there and then kind of plant. And that allows Frankie to hit, exit, you know, readjust. Anybody who can kind of move with Frankie or who packs a lot of... Even if you have a lot of firepower, you have to be able to move with him, kind of cut him off. And how Dominic Cruz, who does not have a lot of firepower, but a lot of movement, how that would match up, I'd, I'd be very interested. If Frankie is serious about taking a shot at the uh, towards the top of the division. I mean, if you want to be mean, you match him up with Cody Garbrandt. 
if you want to be mean, you he was supposed to fight Corey Sandhagen, you guys might remember, before he took that fight with the Korean zombie on short notice. You could remake him in Sandhagen. I like Sandhagen in that fight. Uh, wouldn't be shocked if Frankie won it, but I'd like, and I do, I do like Sandhagen's odds in that, because you've got. Um, oh, sorry, I think Sandhagen's going to be fighting Marlon Moraes. I think they've made that fight, which is a great fight. Uh, you've got with that fight made, Sterling is pretty much your number one contender. So we're going to get Sterling and Jan. Great, I want that fight. But it does kind of leave, if we're looking at people above the fourth rank, Garbrandt would be the only one there. If you look a little below that, because I don't know where Frankie's going to land after this. Uh, you could do the third fight between... Uh, we could get a trilogy fight, an unnecessary trilogy fight, between Frankie and Jose Aldo. I still favor Jose Aldo with that fight, by the way. Um, you know, I mean, you can't really go wrong with... Frankie against anybody up here, you know. If we're looking below number five, you got Aldo, Jimmy Rivera, Rafael Ostensal, Rob Font, Dominic Cruz. I mean, who could complain about any of those? You know? Um, those would all be good fights. Uh, at 38, I don't know how much longevity or how how realistic it is for Frankie to make a real run towards the top. Uh, I know he won't fight Marlon. He and Marlon are training partners, so I f don't think they'll fight. But if I will say this: if Frankie Edgar does in fact have a legitimate run in him at 38 at bantamweight, that would be very, very impressive. I mean, but if you look at the, if you take the top two guys, which are Jan and Sterling, in my opinion, whatever order, I don't favor him against either of them at all. Jan's too hard to take down, is a better boxer, has more power. Sterling is a long guy that has troubled a lot of people, has good kicks from the outside, and is an exceptional grappler. I don't think Frankie matches up well with either of them. I might be wrong, and I... Again, I would not be gobsmacked if he were to win either of those fights, hypothetically. But I don't like his chances a whole lot when it comes to that. So, depending on what he kind of wants to do next, if he's only looking for guys ahead of him, he's probably going to have to wait for the outcome of Sandhagen and Marais before that clears up. Uh, I don't know what Garbrandt's... Oh, Garbrandt's dropping to flyweight, isn't he? So Garbrandt's a non-entity, then, for the immediate future. You know, for as talent-filled as bantamweight is, there's a lot of these guys that have fought each other. And that part of that comes about because of how badly Bantamweight was managed for so long. Um, yeah, I mean, again, a lot of these people have fought each other already. So it's not impossible for things to shake up, but it's a very, very talent-filled division. But there's a lot of retreads there. So someone like Frankie could kind of come in and make arguments for moving up very quickly, especially if you factor in his, how much the UFC likes him. I don't know how much name recognition Frankie has as a general rule, but he's uh, I mean, he's got more than a lot of guys, so 
it's an interesting it's an interesting development. And then again, the more I look at that division, some very very talented fighters. There's a youth movement that's kind of going on there in some respects. You know, Pedro's a younger guy, Sandhagen, Garbrandt. If, I'm assuming Garbrandt's going to wind up coming back up to bantamweight. I don't know that he's going to stick around flyweight very long. I could be wrong about that, but that's kind of my hunch. You know, Sterling, Marais, and Jan, young guys, young guys with a lot of ability. I don't know how Frankie does hanging around with them, but he might be just fine. Uh, somewhat crazier things have happened. As for Munoz, again, he's going to wind up looking down. He's going to drop a bit after this. Um, you could do Munoz and Aldo. I don't know what Aldo's doing next after losing to Jan the way he did, but... Again, Munoz is running into that problem where he's fought a lot of these guys already. He's fought Jimmy Rivera. I think he's fought Austin Sal. He's fought Rob Font. Um, I don't know that you want to throw Marlon Vera in there with him. Marlon Vera currently sitting at number 14. There's some interesting matchmaking that's going to have to go on at Bantamweight. It's a great division, but I think you have to kind of thread the needle a little bit when it comes to how people are going to match up going forward in the immediate future for that division because there's a fair bit of retreads that are potentially out there. Uh, and again, we'll know. We'll also know a little bit more once we get Sterling and Yawn settled. Well, signed and then hypothetically haven't fought. But, yeah. I think Frankie became just the 11th guy to win in three different weight classes with this win. So, Frankie's a legend, man. I don't know how much longer he's got, but he's still going to keep going. And to be fair to his aspirations, split decision or not, my opinion or not, again, I, I scored this for Munoz, he just at a bare minimum fought extremely competitively with the fifth-ranked contender at bantamweight. It's a pretty good indi- That's That's got to be, you know, heartening to him, especially after, because his last fight, he got wrecked by Chan Sung Jung, man. The zombie just smashed him. All right, next up, Mike Rodriguez defeated Marcin Prakneo via knockout, elbow and punches, 217 of the first. Um... Some decent stuff from Rodriguez in the clinch here. But in that he would alternate not just left to right in terms of his offense, but knee to elbow to elbow to knee to you know, kind of back and forth. Um, Low-level light heavyweights, though. There's not a whole lot beyond that. Again, ended quickly. We'll take it. Joe Selecki defeated Austin Hubbard via rear naked choke, 351 of the first. Uh, Joe Selecki is pretty good. He had one win in the UFC already here. While he is primarily a grappler, I think, that's that's where his greatest skill set is, he is very aware of the necessity of setting up all of his grappling exchanges and attempts with his hands. So he's got good hands. He had very good straight punches. He was, he was beating Hubbard in the stand-up used Hubbard's preoccupation with that to force a clinch, got the back, jumped to the backpack, and was able to get the choke from there. Selecki's legit. Uh, 
I am very, very interested in what he's got going forward because he has looked very, very good in both of his UFC fights. Um, big upset here next. Uh, Shauna Dobson defeated Maria Agapova via TKO 138 of the second. Um, Agapova came out like a tornado, but there is something to be said for the old adage about not setting a pace you can't keep. Agapova gassed herself badly. Uh, she, She threw a lot of stuff at Dobson in that first round, but gassed, and then in the second, when Dobson hit a sweep to get to full mount, uh, Agapova was just too tired to figure out what to do from there. So, Shauna, uh, Shauna Dobson pulls her professional record to 4-4, four and four. good for her, and Agapova, who had a fair bit of hype off, I mean, because she ran through Hannah Cyphers, um, yeah, that got derailed in a big way. Hopefully she uses this as a learning experience, but... You can't, you cannot, the pace she set in that first round, I don't think anyone on earth could sustain it. That includes, like, I don't care what fighter you think has great conditioning. You know, Marab, Dwellis, really, uh, Colby Covington, who's another, you know, Demetrius could push a mean pace. You know, I don't care. Pick whoever you want to pick. Watch how she fights in that first round. Nobody can sustain that pace. There might be some who could sustain it longer than she did, but I don't think anyone can sustain it for three rounds. It it was... And that's a risk, man. If you, if you go out like that and you can't sustain it, you're going to... And you don't get a finish, it's going to go bad for you in a hurry. And it did here. Uh, and kicking off the main card, Daniel Rodriguez knocked out Dwight Grant with punches, 221 of the first. This was a wild fight for as long as it lasted. Uh, they Grant clobbered Rodriguez with a pullback counter right. Uh, Rodriguez was fighting southpaw. Grant kind of faded away from a punch, faded to his own right, which was an, which was an interesting choice, but it opened up the punching lane, uh, especially when he arced it. Right hand to the jaw. Rodriguez was in all kinds of trouble. And credit to him, gutted through it, was able to recover, got back on his feet, and blasted Dwight Grant until he fell over. 224, wild two minutes of fighting. Uh, I'm not going to complain too much about that fight. It w- Was it the highest level stuff? No. But it was action-packed. It was full of you know, wild momentum swings. There's only so much. I'm not going to complain too much about that. As for the prelims, Amanda Lemos defeated Mizuke Inoue via unanimous decision, 30-27 on all three cards. I gave Inoue, I gave Mizuki, oh, sorry, Mizuki is what she prefers. I gave her, I think, the second round. But uh, Inoue's an Inoue's an atom weight, not a straw weight, and it's fairly obvious. Uh, she has good hands, but she really needs to be in the pocket. Her clinch game's okay, but she does she falls into the trap that a lot of female fighters in particular do of only working the upper body. She's not much of a wrestler. And I think that kind of bit her a little bit here. She wasn't great about being able to transition from an upper body position to attacking the legs, to looking for trips. Uh, so... Uh, a win for Amanda Lemos, who has looked 
pretty good in her first two UFC fights. Uh, Jordan Wright defeated Ike Villanueva via TKO. This was a doctor stoppage due to cuts at 131 of the first. They came out, they got in each other's faces quickly. Wright hit a beautiful spinning heel kick. Uh, they clinched up right with some really nice knees and elbows from the clinch. I think it was a knee. Um, badly cuts Villanueva above his his right eyebrow. Uh, the ins- the part of it closer to the to the uh, the bridge of the nose where it kind of curves down there, kind of exploded, and Villanueva kept close in the clinch. They fought there for a little bit until they broke, and as soon as they broke, the ref, I believe, it was Jason Herzog. He looked at the cut a little bit in the clinch, enough to know that he wanted the doctor to look at it. Uh, again, breaks as soon as as soon as they separate. Like okay, time. Want the doctor to look at this. The doctor came over, cleaned that off, looked at it, and said, no, we're done. And when you got to look at that cut, I that is probably correct. Um, again, there's a few ways that you can kind of tell when a fight's going to be stopped. Some of the cut, some of its location, some of its depth. Here, in both cases, was bad. It was, again, on the eyebrow, but on the, again, that inside curve, kind of you closer to the nose instead of closer to the outside, I'm touching my face. Purely auditory medium, but I am touching my own face to demonstrate this to the people who can't see. Uh, That's worse. It's worse to get cut inside there unless you're straight up on the nose, but to get cut kind of there because on the outside, blood can kind of leak down around the corner of your eye. uh, The closer you are to the inside, to the center of the line of your face, it's got nowhere to go. It's going down straight into your eye. Um... It was a pretty deep cut. And here's the other thing about this one. Uh, If you have a cut that is along more than one line, that's a pretty big indicator of whether or not that's going to be stopped. So, if all you have is a single cut, so you get a single line, that's not great. But if you go from a straight line to a Y, that's really bad. And that's kind of what we had here. It it was exploded along three different lines. Uh, that's that's a really bad kind of cut. So, I correct stoppage. Um, Wright will be back at middleweight, which is his normal weight class. Uh, just mostly kudos to the doctor and the ref for handling that appropriately. Uh, let's see. At welterweight, Matthew Semmelsberger defeated Carlton Minus for unanimous decision. 30-27, 30-26, and 29-28. I have no issue with the 10-8 from Semmelsberger there. Uh, Minus just never had anything that seemed to give Semmelsberger real problems. And kicking everything off, our second, well, this was technically our first, big upset of the evening. Trevin Jones defeated Timur Valia via TKO 159 of the second. Um, Valiev in the first round put a beating on Trevin Jones. He doubled him over with a kick to the body. Unloaded. There might have, there is an argument that that fight could have been stopped when he's unloading there. To Jones' credit, after he kind of doubles over and drops to a knee the first time, he doesn't go down again. That was a big thing, I think. I think if he'd fallen over again, it probably would have been done. 
but he persevered. Second round, Valiev kind of gets back to work, but Jones lands a really nice right hook. Floors him, gets on top, and is able to kind of pound things out. Um, sucks for Valiev. That guy, had, this was a late notice change of opponent for him. I mean, to be fair, Trevin Jones took this fight on short notice as well. Uh, really unfortunate for Valiev, who's riding, who's been a bit of a hardcore darling. And showed you why, to be abundantly clear. That first round was a clear 10-8. Uh, but this is a very... The fight game is cruel. And sucks for him. Hopefully he can rebound. Uh, let's. So yeah, that was the event. Short event. Um, we lost a lot of fights. On weigh-in day, we had a few things. Um, Daniel Rodriguez, his initial opponent... Uh, was Takashi Sato. That got scrapped after his, um, something happened with Sato. Uh, Sato made weight, but some, but the uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission medical personnel did not clear him to fight. I don't know what caused that, but that's what it was. Dwight Grant's original opponent, uh, well, opponent for this event, because he had someone else originally, was a fellow by the name of Callan Bourne. Bourne pulled out, and they just agreed to fight each other. Uh, the original co-main event for this card was supposed to be Ovin St. Prue and uh, Alonzo Menafield. That fell apart a few hours before the event was to start due to a positive COVID test from Ovin St. Prue. St. Prue had apparently battled COVID already, but he had both negative and positive tests returned, and they just kind of decided it would be better to postpone that fight for a couple of weeks. Uh, which I understand. So, this card, I think they wound, this card wound up being one of the few, another one that went uh, more canceled bouts than actual fights by the end of the night. We had, I think, 11 fights uh, fall off of this card and then just 9 on the evening, so... Uh, very, very, uh, cursed card in that respect, if you believe in curses. Faced a lot of adversity. Plus side, we got some good action. Uh, Edgar and Munoz is a great fight. And there were some good finishes. And if you can't have a great fight, if you can at least get out of there inside of the first round, I'll take that. I might say a fight wasn't great, but at least it got out of the, but at least it ended quickly. And... Uh, you know, again, the existence of a quick finish does not indicate a quality of fight, but it does tend to indicate the, at least you only have to deal with it for so long. Uh, so thank you to everyone who read and followed along with the, this, with my coverage of this particular event. Not an event that had a tremendous amount of buzz and hype behind it, but I always appreciate you guys showing up anyway. Uh, I don't know if he listens to the podcast, but there's a regular commenter that I got into a discussion with on a different news thread or a different coverage thread uh, about issues related to fighter pay and whatnot. Uh, and I thank you very much for the discussion there. So I thank you guys in general. I appreciate you. I really, really do. Uh, some of these events feel long. Some of the events are not good. Sometimes, and sometimes it feels like all I... Th- all I do is kind of shout into the void. So, 
the fact that I know there's a few of you out there, I do deeply appreciate your support. So I just want to make that abundantly clear again. A couple of quick, I suppose, other news from around the combat sports world before we move on to ES to the preview. Um, <laughs> so I watched some of the Bellator event with the sound off because, God, I saw Jack Slack's tweet about this. And I'm going to quote it because I thought it was hilarious. Isn't it? As uh, I may not quote this in, uh, directly, but. Isn't it ama- something to the effect of? Isn't it amazing how listening to how the commentary team being very audible changes how the fights go? Ryan Bader put his hands down and committed suicide basically after five minutes of having to listen to Mike Goldberg and John McCarthy, which is not inaccurate. I I only I watched that for idle curiosity, mostly pertaining to light heavyweight, uh, with. Uh, news bit that we're going to get into related to John Jones. Uh, I was curious to see how Bader would look going back to 205 for the first time in, I think, three years. And he lost the first round, I thought, and then got head kicked and pounded out in the second. Um, watching live, I thought not a very good stoppage from the ref, and re-watching it, I still think it's a little bit late, not as late as I thought it was initially. Um, I, If you've seen the finish, I believe that fight should have been stopped the second time Bader gets dropped because he gets dropped kind of face forward onto his knees. Anytime a fighter goes face first, that's a really bad indicator. Um, especially if their hands don't really come out to protect them. Like That's how you know they're really, really hurt. So... That's when I would have stopped it, and it took another knockdown before it was stopped. So I do think a late stoppage, but I was—I think I was potentially overly critical in my immediate live reaction to that. So still think a late stoppage, but I don't think as bad as my initial indicator, my initial thought process was for whatever that's worth. But uh, yeah, watching Ryan Bader lose as a guy who suffered through a lot of his fights. Uh, <sighs> little bit of schadenfreude there for me. I'm not going to lie about it. Uh, also, if you care at all about boxing, even if you're not a fan of boxing, I-, I would encourage you to look up the knockout that Alexander Povetkin laid on Dillian White. Um, ooh. That was one of the prettiest uppercut finishes you'll ever see. I don't know how many, again, how many boxing fans I have on this show, but if you've ever... One of the prettiest one-punch knockouts you'll ever see is Jersey Joe Walcott over Ezard Charles. He lands a this just beautiful left hook, and Charles crumples, done. Uh, I mean, all of the fights between Walcott and Charles are worth looking up if you're a fan of... Bo- if you're a fan of boxing. They're just worth watching. If you're not, look up the finish to that fight, because it's a beautiful, beautiful punch. This was in that same vein. Povetkin shows the jab, dips off to the side, left uppercut, splits the guard. Beautiful punch. Uh, I know heavyweights age out later than other fighters, but Povetkin at 40, uh, having already lost to Anthony Joshua at this point, 
If he's going to make a run, he does not have time to play around, so he needed this win if that was kind of in his future. Uh, so, yeah, just if you're interested in you know some of my brief thoughts on a few other things in the combat sports world, uh, there's those such as they are. All right, let's go ahead and move on to previewing UFC on ESPN Plus 33. Oh, boy. Okay. Your main event, this... The fight between uh, Zabit Magomed Sharipov and Yair Rodriguez has been attached to a lot of different cards. It was supposed to be the main event for this card. Uh, Rodriguez broke his ankle, I believe. They've been... That fight has been rescheduled for UFC 254. Um... I mentioned this last week, you know, so while Zabit claims that no one wants to fight him after a bunch of the division said, yes, we'll take you, well, I'm happy to fight you, uh, Calvin Cater in particular, and that's the one that I'd be interested in. Uh, I mean, I really want to see Zabit in a five-round fight to begin with, but Cater in particular has uh, some stylistic proclivities that I think over five rounds really trouble Zabit. But he wouldn't accept a late-notice replacement, and... To be abundantly clear, I don't blame him for that. I tend to think that if you only want to fight the guy you signed to fight, fair. Don't then say everyone's ducking you. That that kind of annoys me. I mean, to be fair, also, none of that is actually Zabit. It's all his manager. <laughs> Our new main event is a three-round fight between Anthony Smith and Alexander Rakic. Which is a good fight, and with light heavyweight now being what it is, and... We'll, again, we'll talk about that in the news section. This is a relevant fight. Um, Smith, coming off of that loss to Glover Teixeira, that was a bad loss, man. Teixeira put him through the woodshed. I mean, you know, knocked his, knocked a bunch of his teeth out. Uh, just a brutal, brutal fight. I mean, and to be fair, he had success in that fight. He had Teixeira in trouble at a few different points. But he kind of needs a win. Rakic coming off of a loss to Vulcan Uzdemir, his first loss since his professional debut, was a split decision with Uzdemir. Close fight. I can't remember how I scored it live, but I don't... It was one of those fights where I don't think either man got robbed. I don't think either man put a real stamp on that fight. So both men kind of need a win, even at light heavyweight. I'm still... Uzdemir's a tough guy to kind of figure out anyway. I'm still... I'm still a believer in the ability of Rakic, and I'm going to kind of hope that he took that loss as a learning experience and is going to fix kind of the issues in his game that need to be addressed. Because Anthony Smith will audit your game in a lot of respects, so that bears consideration. I'm going to pick Ray. If this were five rounds, I would pick Smith. Over three rounds, I do kind of think that Rakic is... I do kind of favor him. But... Uh, both guys... More finisher... Finishers more often than not. Uh, both guys long, marauding kind of strikers, so... Don't know exactly what's going to happen. Again, I kind of lean towards Rakic, but... 
Anthony Smith is nobody's stepping stone. It's, if you beat him, you're going to earn it. Uh, co-main event was supposed to be Neil Magny and Jeff Neal. Good fight. Jeff Neal falls out, and now we get Robbie Lawler stepping in to fight Neil Magny. There was a time when I would have picked Robbie Lawler here without a whole lot of hesitation. Now, Lawler hasn't fought since losing that decision to Colby Covington in August of 19. So, been over a year. He's on a three-fight losing streak. Now, I know there's some... Uh, some people take issue with the stoppage in the Askren fight. Fair enough. But even if we kind of set that one aside, before that, he lost to Rafael Dos Anjos, and that was a clear loss. He lost to Covington, clear loss. And Magny is... uh, Magny's not going to wow you with too much, you know? But he's a really good fighter. He's very long. He's got a good wrestling game. I'm still kind of going to go with Lawler here to the extent that my picks matter. Um, Part of that being that they're both southpaws. Uh, I think they're both southpaws. I'm pretty sure they are now that I think about it. Um, Magny does a lot better in terms of how he likes to fight, especially at distance, if he's opposite stance. If he can hand fight that way and get to the outside, uh, kind of the outside foot position, the outside angle, and instead of shooting his straight left, he tends to circle that way, parry your hand down, and then jab, or parry, and then hook. And that's just a much more difficult proposition against someone in the same stance as you. But Lawler's been fighting forever, man. I mean, his fight, he was he and that famous fight between himself and Nick D- between him and Nick Diaz uh, way back in the day. They were both in their like, I think one of them was twenty, the other was twenty-two. I mean, Lawler is what is he thirty something? He's thirty-eight, man. And he's been fighting since when did he debut? He debuted in two thousand one. So, you know, two decades of fighting. Oof. I mean, yeah, just... That's going to wear on you. <laughs> so, if his, if he's really, you know, shop-worn at this point, Magny's not going to, you know, destroy him physically, but Magny's good enough technically to really, you know really kind of just make him work and make him look bad as he wins. So, picking Lawler, but that's uh, that's a bit of a dicey one. I will say this. This fight is going to tell us a lot about Lawler's future in the sport. Now, Lawler's one of those guys who's probably going to keep fighting after he's not a UFC caliber fighter anymore for a little bit, but this is going to be a pretty big indicator of how much longer we'll see him hanging around the UFC. Uh, women's flyweight fight between Alexa Grosso and Jiyeon Kim. Um, Grosso coming off of that uh, majority decision loss to Carla Esparza that uh, I think, I remember thinking that fight should have been a draw. Um, I, I thought Esparza 
Uh, maybe got away with one a little bit there. That was I did not agree with the scoring there. But that was September of 19. Um, that was at Strawweight. This is her... Uh, is it her ever debut at uh, Flyweight? It might be. Um, flyweight, very thin division. Uh, by contest, we have Ji Young Kim, who's gone 3-2 and two in the UFC. Uh, she's... She's missed weight her last two fights. Jeez. This is a big deal for her, man. If she can't make weight here... Uh, both women are strikers, uh, mostly of the hand variety. So we might get a good little fight out of this. I, I'm, I'm picking Grosso. I'm really hoping that, you know, her... Uh, if she can get up to fly weight, then maybe if she's not as concerned with the weight cut, some of her skills can come to life a little bit more because there's a lot of potential there. I'm not saying title-level potential, but... I don't think it's a terribly controversial proposition that Grasso has not yet realized the full her full potential as a fighter. Uh, there was supposed to be a fight between Ricardo Lamas and Ryan Hall, which would have been awesome. Unfortunately, fell off. Um, something happened with Ryan Hall. I don't. Uh, we don't have reasons for that. So. We'll see in the next couple of days if Lamas gets a replacement opponent or not. It sucks. I wanted to see that fight. And kicking off the main card, we have Magomed on Kalayev and Iwan Kutalaba. This is a rematch from their fight that was somewhat controversially stopped before. I picked on Kalayev then. I have no problem picking on Kalayev now. I think he's a better fighter. Doesn't mean Kutalaba can't beat him, but more often than not, skills win fights. That said, this is light heavyweight, so... That does change the math a little bit there in some positions. Uh, Alright, as for the prelims, Maki Patola will fight Impa... Uh, Kasanage? Excuse me. Um, Kasan... Kasangane. Going with Kasangane. Uh, I, I don't have any problem picking Patolo here on the dark. Uh, women's strawweight fight Mallory Martin and Hannah Cyphers. Um... Martin had a rough debut. She drew uh, Virna Jandiroba, and she got kind of wrecked there. Whereas Cyphers, uh, on a three-fight losing streak, um, I'm going to go with Martin, I guess. Um, Alessio DiCirico against Zach Cummings. That one might be okay. I'll pick DiCirico. I don't pick Zach Cummings very often. I mean, not that he's a bad fighter. He's not, but I just don't pick him very often. Um, Saperbeck Safarov against Julian Marquez. I I really struggle to care about this one. Safarov is one in three in the in the UFC. Marquez has been Marquez has been out for a while, hasn't he? I'm trying to think when his last fight is. I think he lost it. I think it was a fight he lost. Um didn't fall apart, did it? Because I'm not seeing it on this listing. That's a little bit odd. 
Okay, I'm going to assume that fight is not on this card anymore, um, because on a couple of different websites, it's no longer listed. So, I'll leave that off. Um, Alex Caceres and Giga Chikadze is certainly a fight. Um, I'll pick Chikadze. If Caceres was sm is smart and is able and just out wrestles Chikadze, he's the better grappler. But Caceres is probably not going to do that. <laughs> he's probably going to kickbox with Giga, and Chikadze is a demonstrably better kickboxer. Um, Pollyanna Viana and Emily Whitmire. I neither nor no. I don't really care. Uh, Pollyanna Viana has yet to win. As is one and three in the UFC on a three-fight losing streak. Uh, Whitmire two and two. I'd go with Whitmire, but eh, who knows? And then Sean Brady and Christian Aguilera. Uh, probably go with Brady there, but I mean Aguilera's no slouch. He had a pretty solid debut, from what I recall too. So uh, that's the fight as it currently stands, or that's the event as it currently stands. Um, yeah, tune in for my live coverage Saturday in the MMA Zone of Four One One Mania. I will. Uh, be there, doing my thing, per usual, because I have no life. Woe is me. Uh, yeah, so just please feel free to stop by, say hello. I, I always appreciate you guys stopping by. Uh, whatever you do, live or after the fact, I just like that you continue to support my work, because Lord knows a lot of places you can get the kind of content I produce, and I'm just grateful that you support mine. Okay, let's start with the news then. Uh, the big news, John Jones has officially vacated the light heavyweight title to pursue a career at heavyweight. Um, this is the third time a title reign of John Jones has come to an end, and in none of those instances has he actually lost the belt. He was stripped of it twice and has given it up here. Um, the man's resume is... I know there's a lot of people that don't care for him personally. I'm not here to talk to you about who he is as a human being. The man's resume as a fighter is darn near impeccable. And again, I know there's some people out there who kind of think... There's a contention of people that think Tiago Santos won his fight with John. I don't get that. I Again, I've said this before. I do not understand scoring that fight for Santos. I haven't rewatched that fight a ton, so I might feel differently if I were to, but I ha I've also seen it more than just when I covered it live, so I, I feel pretty confident in that. Uh, the Reyes fight, okay, fair enough, man. Ray that fight comes down to basically a single round, and how you score that, and how you score that round. You've got one and two, clearly to Reyes. Four and five, clearly Jones. How do you score the third? Uh, again, razor, razor close fight. But he got his hand raised. And until we have evidence of some kind of corruption in that particular instance, that's what stands. So, uh, point being, Reyes and uh, Blahovich is now going to fight. Uh, their fight is going to be for the vacant belt. 
Um, light heavyweight is such an unhealthy division, man. I, I mean, we said this last time Jones was out for a period of time. Like, wait a minute, what is this? What does this division actually look like without John Jones? Now, and that was a few years ago, and I think kind of the reality is that observation is not only still accurate, it might in fact have gotten worse. Now, you've still got some guys, you've got, there's kind of a lot that's riding on Reyes, I think. If Reyes beats Blahovich, he got, an, I think he got enough of a boost even in the loss to John. A lot of people scored that fight for him, and not to be abundantly clear, I'm not saying anything, I'm not disagreeing with that. But I think he got enough of a boost out of that to maybe be a viable draw as champion if he beats Blahovich. I kind of think he will, but, uh, you know, Blahovich has power. So we'll see how that plays. Um, but even then, it's, it's just not a very great division. I mean, let's take a look at it for the sake of argument. So, no champion. You have Dominic Reyes, Tiago Santos, Jan Blachowicz, Glover Teixeira, still kicking around. Anthony Smith, Yuri Prochka, Uzdemir, Rakic, Nikita Krylov, Misha Sirkinov, Johnny Walker, Ryan Spann, Shogun. God, Shogun. Ankalaev and then Paul Craig at 15. Craig and uh, Shogun are going to fight again. They fought to a draw previously. I mean, you still got Shogun ranked at 13. In a healthy division, at this point in his career, with his record being what it is, Shogun is not a top 15 contender. Or at least shouldn't be under any sort of circumstances that make sense. I mean, you've got Uzdemir. I mean, Prochka just debuted. Didn't he, didn't he beat Uzdemir? Like, wasn't that his debut? He knocked out Uzdemir? I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember. I remembered his debut. I just couldn't really remember off the top of my head if it was uh, Uzdemir he had beaten or not. So, I mean, you get Tiago Santos is still on the mend from the damage his knees took. Uh, Teixeira is 40-something. It's just not a healthy division. <laughs> I don't really know how else to say that. So what does it look like without the lure of maybe the greatest of all time at the top of it? I don't know. I do not know. But a post-John Jones world for 205 was going to always happen. I mean, John wasn't going to be there forever. And even if he stayed in the division forever, he was going to lose at some point or retire. So by definition, he's going to leave. What's the state of the division? I mean, again, it's not great. You know, you've got Sirkunov still ranked at number 10. And that guy's been... I mean, he had some promise, and then he just kind of hit a wall. You got Krylov, who showed a lot of promise, but hasn't been able to actually generate momentum. 
it's just it's just not a very healthy division. There's not any other way to say that. So hopefully they're able to rebuild, but we've been saying that, and you've still got you know Shogun and <laughs> Tashera ranked in your top fifteen, and to be abundantly clear, they're not ranked there based on nostalgia. Shogun has a pretty decent record over his last three or four fights. Ditto Teixeira. There hasn't been turnover, not because there, you know, there's nostalgia keeping these guys afloat in the division. There's a lack of turnover because there's a lack of turnover. You know, you want, you want Shogun's spot, you gotta go take it from him. And... You know, if you're not good enough to beat Shogun at this point, uh, that says a lot. Again, that says a lot more about the division than it does about Shogun. So, I don't know what 205 looks like going forward, but Reyes and Blahovich is gonna crown a new champion. So we'll see. I mean, the machinery is gonna turn over. They're gonna find new fighters. It's. I have a, put it this way, I have a hard time imagining the division getting a lot worse than it is right now, especially over a long period of time. It's, it's not heavyweight in that respect, but talent acquisition for the UFC, especially of big guys, um, you know, there's just, the reality is there's better opportunities in other sports. For anyone who, if you're a good fighter, there's more money in heavyweight boxing. Now, granted, you have to succeed at the highest level, but heavyweight boxing is also... I wouldn't say easy to make a run in, but if there's a division you want to kind of come out of nowhere and try to make a run in, you know, heavyweight is historically one of those divisions. And if you're a good enough athlete to play another sport that will... Again, if you're good enough at the other sport, there's more money to be made in other places. There's a reason a lot of heavyweights that have come to the UFC have come after they washed out of other sports. Because they'd rather be doing that. Uh, so, you know, talent acquisition, it's kind of a it's kind of a rough deal for heavyweight and light heavyweight. So... We'll see. Uh, that's one of those things. You, only the passage of time can kind of really give us a clear view of this thing. So that's a big deal. I don't know. The UFC has kind of been making noise that even if John go- does move up to heavyweight, he's not going to get the next shot at Stipe. That's going to be Francis and Ganu. I don't know how. I don't know how much of that is public negotiation by the UFC. Um. I mean, I've made my case here. I would rather see Jones versus Stipe than Stipe versus Ngannou too. That's just me. I don't know how you out there feel. You might feel differently. Not telling you how to feel. I know my preference. But if the UFC wants to kind of leverage John a little bit, they might make him take a fight in the interim or wait for the outcome of that fight. And who knows? So, we'll have to, again, we're in wait-and-see mode at the moment. John might uh, self-destruct again. 
Who knows? Not out of the question. Uh, all right, let's see. Next, uh, we had some fight announcements. Um, some of them bigger, some of them not. Uh, we got confirmation about Anderson Silva versus Uriah Hall. Odd fight for Silva to take. I don't really know what he... I don't know. Silva at this point in his career is... I I'd say I don't know what he's doing. But he's... I don't know what he's really looking for. I mean, maybe he just likes fighting, and I'm... Fair enough. But this is a pretty rough fight for him in some respects, and... It's not like beating Uriah Hall is some big career maker. Uh, Carlos Condit's coming back. He's fighting Court McGee. I'm sure that will feature action. Uh, more of note. We have an update on Amanda Nunes. She will be fighting Megan Anderson at some point in the future. Uh, they, I think they announced an event for that. Was it 255? No, not 255. Um, geez, 256? Yeah, 256. So this would be the December 12th card. Um, and that's for the featherweight title. Uh, I mean, I don't pick against Amanda Nunes at this point, but I mean, women's featherweight is not a real division, so... I don't know. Uh, Anderson might be in a position to score some gigantic upset, but it would be a gigantic upset. Uh, we have again, we had some events, uh, some upcoming events get some main events. Uh, next, not ne not this coming week, but the week after, will be headlined by Alistair Overeem versus Augusto Sakai. Um, that is not a great card. That's just not a great card. Not really any other way to say it. We'll be going over it next week in more detail. But, uh... Yeah, at the moment, not great. Uh, the September 12th card... I... Uh, I think they said this was going to be headli this is going to be headlined by Tiago Santos and Glover Teixeira. Again, People are going to be fighting for position at light heavyweight because Reyes and Blahovich is going to crown a champion. None of those guys have fought Dominic Reyes yet. So, whoever comes out of this looking good uh, next couple of weeks could make a case for their title shot. And then the, night, the card on the 19th will be headlined by Tyron Woodley and Colby Covington finally getting in the cage and squaring off. Um... I mean, Woodley has power, and that can't be discounted, but he has looked just not great in his last couple of fights. And, I mean, Colby hasn't fought since the fight with Usman, uh, which I know a lot of people were in love with. I was kind of lukewarm on. But I, I do like Colby's chances there. I mean, any top-level welterweight at this point against Tyron Woodley, 
even if I might pick Woodley, I I do like their chances. It's not a knock on Woodley, but he's 38. He was the oldest UFC welterweight champion when he won the belt and was the oldest when he lost it. And, you know, that bill comes due. By contrast, Covington is 32. God, he's younger than I am. He's in his physical prime and has a style that you know, is not going to do Tyron Woodley a whole lot of favors. Uh, so we'll see, but at any event, solid enough main event for that card. Uh, that event will also feature Cerrone and Nico Price, Johnny Walker and Ryan Spann. Uh, so not a complete one-note card, but they're leaning pretty hard on that main event. And they announced this, a, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago, but just UFC 253, Adesanya versus Costa. Um, that's a bit of a one-fight card. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, I think they said... Did they really confirm... Uh, Yeah. Okay, apparently um, apparently Reyes and Blahovich is going to be on that card. Uh, they'll be co-main. The, the UFC has put a lot of promotional effort behind Adesanya versus Costa. Uh, and to be fair, the promos they put out for it are pretty darn good. Uh, and not just by UFC standards. I think they're objectively pretty good. So, if you get Reyes and Blahovich, that adds some pretty decent value to that card. But it's uh, it's still very top heavy. Put it like that. I mean, the other announced the other the rest of the main card would be Claudia Gadelia and Jan Jonan, Akeem Dawadu and Zubaira Takugov, and then Kai Karafant and Brandon Royval. I'm not. It's nice that Kai Karafant finally got on a main card. I'll put it like that. I and I hope he makes the most of it, but. Um, that's not a, not an especially deep pay-per-view card. The rest of the card, Random Marcos, Mackenzie Dern, Abdurrahimov and Gone, uh, Casey Kennedy, Casey Kennedy, excuse me, and Alatang Hale, Jordan Espinoza and David Dvorak, Shane Young and Nate Landwer. That might just be weird. Uh, th- those are two weird fighters. Diego Sanchez and Jake Matthews, good lord. Um, Brad Riddell fighting Alex Da Silva. Nice to see Brad Riddell back. I like Riddell. Um, so, a lot of the city kickboxing guys on that card. Uh, but, that's very top. That's a very top-heavy pay-per-view in particular. Pay-per-view portion of that. So, that that takes us to the next pay-per-view. So, that's what we've kind of got announced recently. Um... Yeah, I've uh, kind of said what I'm going to say about those fights. Uh, some good ones in there. Uh, oh, the other one. Um, they announced uh, Darren Till's next fight. He will fight Jacare Hermanson. Not Jacare Hermanson. Good lord. Jack Hermanson. <laughs> oh, long day, guys. My apologies. He'll be fighting Jack Hermanson. Um, which I think I mentioned after Till lost to Whitaker um, as a potential fight. 
not an easy fight. Um, but, you know, Till came into middleweight and beat a top-ranked guy in Kelvin Gastelum at a time when he was coming off of that, you know, war with Adesanya. And he's not going to get anything approximating a soft touch after that. You, know, you go from that to Bobby Knuckles to Jack the Joker. That's, that is a tough stretch. Um, I'm not saying Till can't win that fight, because he could. Um, both men bounce around a lot, but uh, Hermanson's a little bit vulnerable to straight punches. Though the wrestling goes pretty clearly to the way of Hermanson. Uh, it's, uh, again, not an unwinnable fight, but uh, a non-trivial challenge, I suppose might be the best way to put it. I think that's everything I had written down here, so... Let's can let's just uh, uh, take a look at Twitter. See if anything crazy is broken.
Sorry, nothing crazy is broken, so let's go ahead and get into plugs, such as they are. Uh, uh, again, I think just the uh, the big thing would be coverage this coming week on Saturday. Uh, I think I have a podcast. Let me double check my schedule for that because if I do, I might have to plan something out. So, 20. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there will be one. I think on Monday, there'll be a Damn You Hollywood for the one and only Ivan. I get to watch that again, I guess. Oh, again, I get to watch that, I guess. Uh, coming up in a couple of weeks, the New Mutants. In theory, uh, Bill and Ted face the music. We'll be doing those, I think, on about the same day. Uh, yeah, so a couple of things coming up for me, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, if you like my stuff over on the Rattlech and Broadcasting Network, it's part of the W2M Network. Just click on the Rattlech and Broadcasting subheading there, or just follow them on any major podcasting platform, and you can find me... Most of the time on Damn You Hollywood, occasionally cropping up on TV parties and uh, yeah, the occasional live reaction, things of that nature. So be on the lookout. That's coming up from me in the next couple of weeks. Uh, yeah. So thank you all very much for your support. Likes, comments, subscriptions, sharing us around, all of it. Many, many thanks to you good people. Once again, I invite you all to stay safe out there as you continue to be well, be safe, and behave. See you next week.